0: Many of you have noticed that uh, I'm preaching in my white sock feet today. I would prefer to call it an unfortunate baptism practice accident. Let it go at that. Now, well, uh, it, it tickles me. Uh, our lives are full of a word that we like to call serendipity. Just when you think something is going to happen a certain way, it doesn't. And uh, something else happens. And uh, the, the best part about it all is that if you can recognize that sometimes your reaction to what happens to you is, is the blessing, or it can be a curse. But in this case, it was a blessing. God was good to everybody, and I'm very thankful. And if you want to know the whole story, I'll tell you after church. <laughs> Please turn with me to Colossians, the first chapter, verses 13 through 20. And while you're turning... Um, had a story that uh, I read a while ago, and it goes like this. An atheist complained to a Christian friend, you Christians have special holidays, such as Christmas and Easter, and Jews celebrate their national holidays, such as Passover and Yom Kippur. But we atheists have no recognized national holidays. It's really a form of unfair discrimination. And his friend replied, well, why don't you celebrate April 1st? <laughs> Colossians one 13 through 13-20 He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Son He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sin in Him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for everything was created by Him, In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven, may God add a blessing to the reading of his most precious word today. You ever get the feeling there's no such thing as having enough in the world? We live in a culture where there is an incessant pressure to add on to existing things. Think about all the people who just have to add their own personal comments to a post on Twitter or Facebook. And whether you find yourself dining in a fine restaurant or sitting at a fast-food drive-up window, you are always pressured to add something to your order. Do you want fries with that? Would you like to supersize your order? It's if the status quo is never enough. There is no more tangible example of this phenomenon than in the explosive use of additives over the last 30 years. Additives are just what you think they are. They are things added to products that make them stronger, last longer, or look better. Additives are in everything, from gasoline. And I want you to know my 1985 Toyota pickup truck runs really good when I can find pure premium to put in it. You got additives in toothpaste. You got additives in makeup. Even the buildings we live and work are a product of additives because steel itself is the result of carbon being added to iron. Even though we often don't think about it, we constantly put additives in our bodies. There are preservatives in bread and cheese to make them resistant to the growth of mold, food coloring in margarine to make it look more like butter, artificial sweeteners and soft drinks to make them calorie free and our coffee we ask for the blue packet or the yellow packet containing artificial sugar and while these are seemingly acceptable ingredients there comes a point when adding to something actually subtracts from its value additives often bring damaging side effects and with that awareness there's a growing movement to return to natural products companies are now making soda from real cane sugar because natural sugar is better than high fructose corn syrup or the chemicals found in diet soda and nutritionists have found that the natural fat found in butter is healthier for you than the additives that make up margarine and the skim milk 1% milk 2% milk has too many additives in it just to make it drinkable whole milk at three and a quarter percent continues to be best for children and for us as well. And the world has begun to realize that some things are best when they're left in their natural state. But the Bible is very clear that Jesus was and is the plan of enough. As set out from God. Freshly reminded in today's exhortation to be careful about overstatement. Let me celebrate the importance of the passage just briefly before we dive into the details. Colossians 1, 15-20, is the most well-known passage in the letter, and for good reason. It is one of the high points in the whole New Testament. It is no exaggeration to say this is one of the greatest paragraphs in the history of the world. It is dense with foundational and all-encompassing truth. It is boldly Christ-centered. These very well may be the most six consecutive verses in the Bible these might be the most six important verses in the Bible here is the heart of the Christian worldview undiluted packed tightly into one short paragraph scholars and lay readers alike have noticed as we move from verses 9 through 12 transition into verses 13 through 14, and then finally land into verses 15 through 20, there is a shift in Paul's language from his typically long-flowing sentences to these short, simple, poetic declarations about Christ. Because these six verses have that poetic feel like a creed or a hymn found in the first century church. Some interpreters have speculated that Paul adopted it from early church worship and perhaps adapted it for his purpose here in the letter, perhaps. That would not be a problem if it were the case. But I see no good reason to think it more likely that someone else composed these lines other than Paul. The mass of truth distilled here in such short space and simple sentences is theological genius at work. And plainly, Paul, along with Luke, and I would even suggest John, stands as one of the clear theological giants we know from the first century church. Now, many of you may not know this, but the Colossians were a Jewish colony, a Jewish settlement outside of the Holy Land. And one of the problems the Colossians had to deal with was allowing worldly traditions to get in the way of their relationship with Jesus. They had become Christians through learning of the gospel of Christ. But in the absence of strong teaching and leadership, Others had come along and tried to add to the message. They would teach things like, yes, Jesus saves you, but you still need to follow the Jewish traditions of eating. Yes, Jesus saves you, but men still need to be circumcised. They were also maintaining their attachments to the basic principles of the world, which is a trust in virtue or wisdom or love or nobility divorced from the true source, which was Christ himself. Now, love, wisdom, virtue are good things. But when we separate them from God and cling to them as powers in and of themselves, we are worshiping the power without acknowledging its source. It's a lot. If you can imagine going over here and flicking on the light bulb to the pianist uh, table there and then bowing to it, it would be the similar thing. Or making a part of creation into a person and worshiping it instead of giving credit to the true creator of nature, our holy God. Paul is saying to these mistakes, no, no, no. Jesus is enough. Our text for examination opens in a powerful way. We see the word all that ties the verses together. Note the alls. In the first three verses, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. In Him, all things were created. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. In Him, all things hold together. Now, I don't know about you, but I was going through college when I first read this passage of Scripture. And when you go through college, you get a healthy dose of english literature you get a a healthy dose of history which is my favorite Uh, you get a healthy dose of socialism which is not my favorite Uh, you get a healthy dose of social science you get a healthy dose of political science and you also get a healthy dose of physics which i have to say i struggled with i'm glad to say my wife did too (laughs) but in this passage it says in him all things hold together. Now I want to remind you of your classes in high school or your classes in college. Many of you know that the atom is the smallest particle in in matter. It has three parts. It has electrons, it has protons, it has neutrons. And we know that the proton is in the center and it carries a positive charge. The electron orbits the the proton nucleus and the neutron in its center Controls the mass and radioactivity of the atom. One of the problems with the model of the atom is that the positive charged, or excuse me, the negative charged electrons should crash into the protons, kind of like our moon coming out of orbit. The protons being like charged should repel each other into space. And so, in other words, that proton mass should pop. And they've gone to great lengths to explain why this doesn't happen. And they've come up with four explanations. They said it's one of the four fundamental forces, gravity, electromagnetism, the weak force, and the strong force. As the name suggests, the strong force is the strongest force of the four. This is what man has come up with to explain why the atom exists. In verse 17, Paul, quoting God in an inspired manner, answers that question for us in him all things hold together I would love to go back to my physics class and when the professor explained strong force to me I would have liked to been the guy that goes you're talking about God aren't you I was that kind of student you're talking about God aren't you and a lot of our physics professors would admit that we don't really know what the strong force is, but it has to exist. Because we know that the atom can't exist all by itself. It would blow off into particles. And so when I found this passage of Scripture, that by Him all things exist, I was amazed. In Jesus we find everything. All that God is, therefore, He is enough for us. Jesus was not created by God. He is fully God, just as God the Father is fully God. That is why we say, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we place our trust in Christ, He makes us complete. We don't need more. There are so many traditions of man And almost all of them teach that we don't need Jesus. When you study your business and you make large sums of money, inherent in that practice is we don't need Jesus. If you go out to Macy's, I don't know how many of them are still open, or you go to any of Saks Fifth Avenue or any of these other places, and you walk in and say, I look like a slob, make me look better. They'll do their best, but inherently they're not going to tell you, you know, sir, you really need Jesus. We need Jesus alone, and when he becomes a part of our lives, he is enough. Listen carefully. I'm not saying we don't have to continue learning and growing in our faith through study and prayer and fellowship and worship. We most certainly do. It is part of our relationship with Jesus himself. And I want to remind you, there's things you learned in your teen years that you've forgotten. And you need to be reminded of them as you read your Bible. There's things that you've kind of done that have kind of gotten you off the path where God wants you to be. And you knew better the Bible is there to remind you: get back on the path. Still saw cars on the highway as we were coming in from our four inches of snow over the over the holidays and or over the, the weekend. And I don't want to give any casting aspersions about their driving, but I will tell you that when you drive on a snowy road, your one job is to drive. You don't touch the radio. You don't check your cell phone. You don't do anything else. When you're on a slick road, your only job is to drive. And I saw several cars on the road coming over here today. And I was thinking to myself, you just got to drive. And the same thing is true of your life. All aspects of your life. Jesus is what you need to be studying on. All things in through and for Jesus. Jesus is the image. We are in the image. Which is at least part, if not the whole, of what Paul means when he he says here, all things are in, through, and for him. Humanity might have been created last on the sixth day, not because humanity was an afterthought, but God did all of his creating from day one in view of setting up the world for man as one of which he himself would one day enter into this world. So before the Father worked together with his Son to create all things, he already had in view what his Son would be like as his image in the created world. And he created all things in view of his Son through the agency of his Son. All creation is in Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Which means everything in your life relates to Jesus in some form or fashion. And you know, I I can already feel the contrariness rising when I say all things in your life need to have Jesus attached to them. And I know people are saying, well, you know, some of my driving isn't about Jesus. It ought to be. It ought to be. I remember, uh, you know, we were driving to uh, uh, Cripple Creek one time. And uh, I was driving up this switchback, and I was taking it real easy. And uh, I wasn't sure it was cold, and I wasn't sure what was going to be lying ahead of me. And uh, uh, these four people passed us, just not a care in the world in a BMW, just took off. And uh, it wasn't more than four or five miles ahead. That BMW was lying on its passenger side, and all four people were standing out looking at it. And since the police officer behind me had his whoopee lights on, I knew I probably shouldn't stop, so I didn't. But the reality was that everything you do, and I I say driving, but it could be anything. Check the block. Jesus ought to be a part of it. The morality of Jesus ought to be part of anything that you do. Let me see if I can make the point more clearly. We often don't see not how. But the problem is not with his being, but it's with our seeing. Uh, I've learned a long time ago that I used to put water in the microwave and uh, brew it for tea. And now I've gone back to the old ways of taking out the teapot and filling it full of water. And and I don't have a whistle. I've got something that goes, And I like to put that teapot on the stove and then go about my business. And I know when I hear the it's time to go take care of it. And I pour that boiling hot water over my tea bags. I'm from the South. I drink iced tea. And I pour that boiling hot water over my tea bag, and I start dipping that bag as much as I can, getting all that essence of tea out of that bag, right? And as soon as I've done that, then I take a big old thing of ice, and I dump it right in there, because there's something about the interaction of ice with boiling hot tea just makes it taste so good. The agitation of the water mixed with the tea, mixed with the cold, makes it a wonderful beverage. And if you come to my house, that's what you're going to get. But that's what Paul wants us to see in the Colossians. We're that boiling water. And that tea is added to us, that spirit of God. And if you're smart, instead of saying, oh, tea, tea, I don't want tea in my water, embrace it. Let that tea wash all over you, just like Jesus would wash all over you. Change your opinions, change your attitude, change your way of looking at things. So that you can be trapped in an elevator (laughs) sinking in water. And it's the funniest thing you've seen all day. We embrace Jesus every day if we're smart. When we get up in the morning, there should be some thanks in your heart. Thank you, God. I get to do another day. Thank you, God, for all the things I get to do. Thank you, God, for whatever it is you've got planned for the day. And thank you, God, for the serendipity that is sure to come my way. Thank you, God. That's what Paul wanted to see in the Colossians. And that's what God wants to see in each and every one of us. Hearts overflowing with thankfulness simply because of his love for us, which never dies away. This is what happens when we get to the point in our lives where Jesus is enough. We no longer look for stuff to excite us. We no longer look for the next thrill. We no longer become bored from day to day. We no longer have to be entertained daily because Jesus is enough. Jesus just doesn't give you what you need. Jesus is what you need. Your heart was created by Him for Him. You can fight and claw to gain the world, but without Jesus, you will never be completely satisfied. If there is a growing discontent deep in your heart, a hunger that hasn't been completely satisfied by people, pleasures, parties, material things, or accomplishments, today is the day to open your heart to the idea that it is Jesus that you were made for, but you have to walk away from less and ask Him to become your more. Jesus is enough for you. When I was an army chaplain, uh, we had soldiers that would drink way too much alcohol and become alcoholics, and we had a program from the Veterans Administration and. You, you recognize it as the, as the step program. And one of the things that they, tell, they told our soldiers was that there is a spiritual need in each and every one of us. For most soldiers, that was a surprise. I've got a spiritual need? No, I don't. And the program would say, if you can't acknowledge that you have a spiritual need, there's the door because we can't help you. And then they would embrace that spiritual need and they would say, we're not going to tell you what your God is, but we want you to hold on, cry out to your higher power and embrace that, whatever it is. And we would watch these soldiers do that, follow that program, make amends to everybody you've wronged, get somebody to help you so that when you feel the need to drink something, you call them and let them talk you out of it. Get through that program. And it was amazing how many people, many of my soldiers, came out of that program, came to me and said, chaplain, I'm going to be at your next service. The God-shaped hole in their heart was filled by acknowledging that they needed him. And Jesus is exactly what you and I need. He is exactly what a hurting and broken world needs. Enough love, enough peace, enough strength, enough contentment, enough joy. When you're stressed out by the cares of this life, Jesus is enough. When your children are having a let's drive mommy and daddy crazy day, (laughs) Jesus is enough. When your neighbors are less than neighborly, Jesus is enough. When the news from your doctor is unsettling, Jesus is enough. When the next report of mass shootings hits the news, Jesus is enough. When life gets turned upside down, Jesus is enough. I want to replace every anxiety-ridden, dissatisfied thought with these words. Jesus is enough. And I know there's contrarians out there. And I know someone is thinking right now, Pastor, that sounds good. But we live in the real world and we still foolishly turn our focus to current events, global and or personal. It's hard to focus on Jesus when what's right in front of us is screaming for our attention. We still foolishly turn our attention to the political environment of our nation that seems to want to embrace all the lies and never wants to get near the truth. It's hard to focus on Jesus when it seems our nation is falling apart and screaming for attention. We still foolishly turn our focus on the economy and businesses closing all around us. It's hard to focus on Jesus when it seems our nation's economy is screaming for attention. We still foolishly turn our focus to our finances and difficulty making ends meet. It's hard to focus on Jesus when it seems our nation is suffering from high employment rates. Let me just once again reassure you, believing that Jesus is enough involves resting in God's promises no matter what is going on around us. As we rest in God's promises, we have to admit a truth. We're not God. True rest in Jesus Christ is central to the Bible's teachings. If we put our trust in Jesus, not, some, not in some things, but in all things, we will find Jesus is enough. We have it all in Christ. We're made alive once being dead in our sins. We are cleansed of our sins as if we had never sinned at all. We are cleansed of our sins as if we had never sinned at all. We are made into the image of Christ and raised as new creations in Christ. Yes, Jesus is enough. Many of you know I like to drive a 1985 Toyota pickup, and I mentioned it just earlier. And uh, one day the engine went out, and it went out hard. And there's a company called Jasper that made us a virtually brand new engine for that truck. And we got the engine in, and we took the old engine out, we put the new engine in, we put a new wiring harness in that bad boy we we took out all the things that were bound to go wrong and we slapped it all together again and i sat behind the wheel of that truck and i turned the key and instead of a roar, 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 roar boom i turned the key on an engine that two turns and it was running and when i shifted it into reverse I thought I was going to crawl out of that driveway. And instead, my head almost hit the steering wheel from that backwards reaction. And I got on the road and I had to watch myself because that new Jasper engine wanted to go. And I'm driving down the highway and I'm looking at the speedometer and I'm looking at the road and I'm looking at the speedometer. I'm not used to it. But boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, when you led Jesus into your heart, he remade it all. He remade it all. Forgave all your sins. Made you whole again. We have to be careful. We forget that. And when we forget it, we find our world spiraling around. Jesus is enough, but I want to let you know how many of you have seen a metronome when you're, when you're studying music, and the little thing goes click, 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 and we go from this side, and, and, and it's, it's, it's all the nasty, stupid stuff in your life that you ought to get rid of, and you get it back to the center, where you're in Jesus, you're, you're focused on things, and then you let it go the other way. And then you have to be reminded Jesus is enough. When apostles love church planning and mission work more than Jesus, you're kind of saying Jesus isn't enough. When prophets love their prophecies, dreams, and visions more than they love Jesus, they're saying Jesus isn't enough. When evangelists love traveling, preaching, and holding meetings more than they love Jesus, then again they're saying that Jesus is not enough. And now I'm pointing the arrow at me. When pastors love their church services and building programs more than they love Jesus, then they're saying that Jesus is not enough. When preachers love their preaching more than they love Jesus, when a preaching event is like going to the movies and watching special effects burst all over the place, then your preachers are saying that they love preaching more than they love Jesus. I am glad this morning that I know Him for myself. And I stopped by this morning to tell you, Jesus is enough. Sin is helpless before Jesus. Amen? We don't need the law to save us now. We need Jesus. Jesus is enough because of who He is. Jesus is enough because of what He has done. Jesus is enough because of what He's ready to do for each and every one of you. Jesus is enough. And that is the bottom line of what Paul is saying today. You don't need Jesus plus this. And you don't need Jesus plus that. You need Jesus. I've got Jesus. And that's enough. My bank account may be low. But I've got Jesus. And that's enough. I've got daily aches and pains. But i got Jesus. And that's enough. My friends might be few, but I've got God, and I've got Jesus, and that's enough. My light bill might be due, and my gas bill too, but I've got Jesus, and that's enough. Jesus is enough. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that when you saved us, You didn't just pat us on the shoulder and send us on our way. When you saved us, you redeemed us. When you saved us, you equipped us. And when you saved us, you gave us a desire to share the good news with everybody that we should meet. Lord, please rekindle that spirit in our hearts today. Help us to tell people about the Jesus that loves us so. Help us, Lord, to be willing, no matter what personal things might happen to us, help us be willing to tell people, Jesus is enough for you as well. Amen.